0: This morning, we are concluding a sermon series through a selection of the Psalms, and we've entitled this series, Into His Presence, a phrase taken from Psalm chapter 95, verses one through three, which says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. The Psalms provide a tremendous resource for us to draw near to God as they are rich in glorious truth about God and how we relate to him as his people. We all experience a wide range of emotions, as we experience the ups and downs of living in a fallen world, which is reflected in the prayers and songs of this wonderful book. But the songs not only reflect a wide range of human emotions but are meant to shape our emotions, affections, and attitudes as we humble ourselves in the presence of the one true living God, the King, above all gods. I hope and pray that the Lord has used this sermon series and will continue to use this sermon series to mold us and to shape us as God's people, as the true worshipers of the one true living God. The book of Psalms is a wonderful songbook meant to be used by God's people, primarily in the context of the worshiping community. The Psalms shape us as we reflect on, pray, and sing truth about God together. Our text today is Psalm 145. In our passage, we will see that the Lord is good. He is worthy of enthusiastic praise. And his kingdom and the praises of his people will endure forever. I'm going to read Psalm 145, and I encourage you to follow along. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. First, the Lord is good. In this psalm, we see how the Lord has revealed himself through his mighty acts, wondrous works, and awesome deeds. He has made known his abundant goodness. We see this in his creation, provision, and salvation. Verse 9 refers to all that the Lord has made. Consider the Lord's work in creation. Consider All he has made, the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, the earth and all that is in it, the mountains, the trees, the oceans. He created all things by his word. He spoke things into existence. Surely the Lord is mighty. But his work in creation not only reveals his power, but also his goodness. He created a beautiful world. Think of the beauty we are able to take in as we observe his creation. Think of the many forms of beauty that we are able to enjoy. Think of the wide variety of food that he has provided for us to enjoy. His creation is beautiful and delightful. And he created these things for our enjoyment. In Genesis chapter two, verses seven through nine, we read, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight And good for food. Oh, he created a beautiful world. Beautiful mountains, trees, plants, flowers, oceans, rivers, lakes, pleasant to the sight, food, all kinds of food that is pleasant to taste. God's goodness is on display in his creation, which he made for our enjoyment when we enjoy the beauty of God's creation, I hope we remember his goodness. I hope when we take these things in, we naturally praise the Lord. When you see that sunset, I hope your first reaction is to say, praise the Lord. He is good. So we see his mighty acts, wondrous works, awesome deeds, and abundant goodness in creation. We also see that the Lord is good through his provision. In verses 15 and 16, we read, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of Every living thing, all creation is entirely dependent on the Lord. We are completely dependent on him for life, for breath, for food, for everything. We are completely and utterly dependent, which makes any pride we have in ourselves ridiculous. We are nothing apart from the Lord. We need him for everything. We look to him to provide for us, to satisfy our needs. All eyes look to him and he does not fail us. The Lord delights to do good to all. His disposition is to provide and bless all his creation. Can you think of a time when you were happy and delighted to do good for someone else. Maybe you were going to prepare a meal for someone to bring to them, and you were happy to work hard to make a good, tasty meal to give to them. Maybe you wanted to bring someone flowers. Maybe you picked out a, a meaningful gift to give to someone that you know that they would appreciate. Maybe you wrote a card to someone, just encouraging them, letting them know that you're praying for them, Maybe you someone with a fun trip. This past week, I was coming home from work one day for dinner, and I decided I'm going to take my kids to Top It Frozen Yogurt down at the end of the street. No particular reason, no special occasion. I was just happy to do something for them that I knew that they would enjoy. I was just happy to take them to Top It so they could enjoy it, so we could enjoy time together. Maybe I wanted it myself, too but I was happy to do something for them. Although I was a little bit stingy because I told them they could only have one topping each. The Lord is not stingy. The Lord is good. He delights to do good. Think about the joy you have when you have the opportunity to do good to someone, to help them out, to support them. And we are sinful. We... In our sinfulness, still delight to do good for others. How much more so the Lord? How much more does the Lord delight to do good in providing for us, satisfying our needs? The Lord is the only one who can satisfy our needs and desires, and he is eager to do so. The Lord is good. Indeed, verses 8 and 9 affirm the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Here we have yet another reference to the character and nature of the Lord as he has revealed himself. David points back to Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, where the Lord revealed himself to Moses when Moses asked the Lord, To show him his glory. In response to Moses' request to behold the glory of the Lord, the Lord revealed his character and nature. This is who the Lord is gracious, merciful, abounding in steadfast love, good to all. All creation benefits from the Lord's goodness and common grace. He is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Brothers and sisters, as those who belong to the Lord, we don't want the Lord's goodness to be an abstract principle. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Know for yourself in a personal and intimate way that the Lord is good. Experience it for yourself. We want to receive and know His goodness personally and intimately we want to encounter his goodness in our lives. This doesn't mean we don't have bad days and tough seasons of life. Many, if not all of us, have experienced trials, sorrow, hardship, anxiety, discouragement, doubt. Life is hard. We've experienced this. We've tasted that for ourselves. And while there is usually no quick fix for these things, we still need to remember verse 14, which says, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. In verse 18, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth in those times of hardship and trial, pain, despair, discouragement, we need to remember that when we are falling down, it's the Lord who holds on to us. It's the Lord who raises up. It's the Lord who hears when we cry out to him. He knows us. He sees us. He cares for us. And he is near to us. In good times, in bad times, the Lord is good. And the Lord is good to us. Moreover, as we receive his goodness, we want our lives to reflect his goodness. Consider the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, which says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a believer. Let's pray that this fruit would increase in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Brothers and sisters, let's pray that our lives our speech would reflect the goodness of God it's so easy for us to indulge our sinful nature it's so easy for us to indulge the flesh to be impatient to be angry to be unkind to be overly critical to be caustic ah but may we be a people who walk in the spirit put to death the flesh. Reflect the goodness of God in our hearts, our attitudes, our speech, how we treat each other. May we reflect the goodness of God. Psalm 145 and all scripture is emphatic. The Lord is good. We also see that the Lord is good in the way that he saves. David pointed to the Lord's salvation. The Lord saves those who cry to him, those who call out to him. He is faithful and he is good to save. It is true that the Lord judges his enemies. Those who reject him as king will face judgment. We see this in Psalm 145. We see this throughout all scripture. There is no escaping God's judgment for those who reject him as king. But all who call on him, all who cry out to him, will receive mercy and will be saved. The Lord is good. Next, we see that the Lord is worthy of enthusiastic praise. The psalm begins, I will extol you, my God and King. David goes on to employ a wide array of language in praise of the one true living God. He said, I will bless your name, praise your name, commend your works, declare your mighty acts, declare your greatness, pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, sing aloud of your righteousness, speak of the glory of your kingdom, tell of your power, make known to the children of man your mighty deeds, and so on. David's desire to make much of the Lord butted up against the limits of human language. What more could he say? What other words could he use? What more could he do to praise the Lord, to make much of him? He was consumed with making much of the Lord, bringing glory to his name, praising Him. Because the Lord is good, gracious, merciful, mighty, and abounding in steadfast love, David was eager and enthusiastic to praise Him and bring glory to His name. And he wanted to lead God's people to praise Him, delight in Him, and make much of Him. We don't get the impression from this psalm that his praise of the Lord was obligatory we don't get the impression that he's like all right time to praise the lord let's go everybody come on get up get up get up get up. let's do it we have this duty we need to praise the lord we need to make much of him you don't get the impression that he was merely doing this because it was his duty no we get the impression that he his heart was overflowing with praise for the lord eager and enthusiastic to make much of him and eager and enthusiastic to lead God's people to make much of him. In his reflections on the Psalms, C.S. Lewis wrote on the nature of praise. He said, but the most obvious fact about praise, whether God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The psalmists, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. We get this, don't we? What happens when you're looking over the vast ocean and you see a beautiful sunset? Do you shrug your shoulders and turn and walk away? No. Most people go, wow! That's beautiful! Imagine you're going on a hike up a mountain. It's a steep steep hike. You're surrounded by large trees. And all of a sudden, you get to the top of the mountain, and it clears. And you have an expansive view. What do you do? Whoa. Look at this. This is amazing. What about the thrill seeker who goes skydiving right over here? And once they come down, they, they finish, they get to the ground, and they go, "That was awesome!" That was amazing. They want to tell others about that experience. What about the car enthusiast walking down Main Street during one of the car shows here, looking at all these cars, going, "Whoa, look at that car. That car has cylinders and <laughs> people. Praise what they enjoy. The sports fan cheering when their team scores. I mean, we get it. We understand what C.S. Lewis is describing, his reflections on the Psalms, what David is doing here in Psalm 145. You love something. You delight in something. You are eager to praise it. Praising is the consummation of enjoying it. God is worthy of our enthusiastic praise, and we will praise him enthusiastically as we enjoy him, as we personally know the Lord, as we taste and see that he is good. We will not be able to help but praise him. It'll be harder to complain. It'll be harder to brag about ourselves and bring attention to ourselves. It'll be harder to do this because we will want to praise him and bring glory to his name. The Lord is worthy of enthusiastic praise and we will understand this as we enjoy him as we know him as we taste and see that he is good brothers and sisters don't we want to enjoy God don't we want to taste and see that he is good so that our enjoyment of him overflows into praise God wants us to know him And enjoy him. He wants us to experience his goodness. And when we do, we will praise him. We will praise him in our daily lives. We will reflect on him. We will hear about him. We will read about him. And we'll say, praise the Lord. God is good. We will be eager to gather with the Lord's people to sing his praises together. I hope that our praise of the Lord during the week finds its consummation in praising him together as his people. The more we taste and see that he is good, the more restrained we will feel by language and seeking to praise his name. Words may feel inadequate. Brothers and sisters, let's pray that we will be people who are eager and enthusiastic to praise the Lord and bring glory to his name. Let's pray that we will be characterized by Psalm 115, verse one, which says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. May the desire of our hearts be to bring glory to his name. Psalm 145 reminds us that the Lord is worthy of enthusiastic praise. Finally, God's kingdom and the praises of his people will endure forever. David called the Lord, my God and king. As the creator of everyone and everything, he indeed is the king of the universe. All the rulers of the earth are small in comparison. Their time and power is short, their authority is limited, and their kingdoms fade. Not so with the Lord. Listen again to verses 13 to 16. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is powerful. His kingdom is glorious, and his kingdom will endure throughout all generations. John Piper writes, The basic meaning of the word kingdom in the Bible is God's kingly rule. His reign, his action, his lordship, his sovereign governance, God's kingship, his righteous and benevolent rule is a gift for his people to embrace. David rejoiced in God's kingship. He was happy for God to be his king. He was happy to be one of God's subjects to belong to his kingdom. Sadly, many people today reject God as king. Many people today reject his kingship, believing the lie that somehow submitting to God is oppressive, that it robs us of our joy and our freedom. And that could not be further from the truth. God's kingship is a gift, true joy, true peace, true freedom is found in submitting to God as our king. And as his kingdom will endure forever, his holy name will be praised forever and ever. David believed that he would praise God forever and ever, and he was happy about that. The beauty, splendor, and glory, as well as the eternal nature of God's kingdom are things we need to remind ourselves of continually, are you prone to set your heart on and chase after things that fade and don't satisfy? You know what I mean. There's things that we pursue, that we give our time, our energy, our money, and affection to that don't last and don't satisfy. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Set your heart on your king and his kingdom, recognizing that you can lose the treasures of this world. My wife and I have friends who had their house and almost all their belongings burned to the ground in the Maui fire. Sent my wife a video of their property after the fire had burned everything to the ground. Just utter devastation. In one of the videos that we watched, our friends who, by God's grace, they're strong Christians, they love the Lord, videoing everything burned to the ground, and goes, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. Whew. What a stark reminder that we can quickly lose things in this world. No matter how hard we try to secure our stuff, no matter how many types of insurance we come up with, no matter how much medicine we have, no matter what we do, we cannot hold on to the things of this world. They can be taken from us like that our possessions, our health, our life. We can lose things quickly and abruptly. Where are you setting your heart? Where are you setting your affection? David set his heart and his affection on his king and on his kingdom. When Jesus began his public ministry, he said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He made an extraordinary claim that in, with his arrival, the kingdom of God had broken into the world. In his person, in his ministry, the kingdom of God had arrived. It was an extraordinary claim. It was a bold claim. And he said, the time is here for you to repent of your sin and believe in the gospel. What did he mean when he referred to the gospel? seems like an important thing for us to know. When Jesus used the word gospel, he was referring to the good news that God saves sinners in Jesus Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. God, the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything, is the one true king. And he made us, man, male and female, in his image, To know Him, to enjoy Him, to receive His goodness, to obey Him, and to live for His glory. And yet, every single one of us has sinned against Him. Every single one of us has rejected God as King through our sin. We're all guilty. We've all rejected God's purpose for our lives and his rule over our lives. And therefore, we all deserve judgment. We all deserve to spend eternity in hell. Yet because God is gracious and merciful, he has provided a way for sinners like you and me to be forgiven of our sins, to be reconciled to God, our creator, our king, to be welcomed into his kingdom. He has provided a way to save us And he has done so by sending Jesus Christ, the son of God and the savior of the world into the world to live a life without sin so that he could offer himself as the perfect sacrifice at the cross, taking the punishment for the sins of his people in our place. Jesus took the punishment we deserve in our place as he absorbed God's wrath being poured out on him at the cross. He died and was buried But on the third day, he rose from the grave, conquering death. He appeared to hundreds of people, proving that he is alive. And after 40 days, he ascended into heaven, where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And he commands everyone to repent and to believe in him, that we might be forgiven of our sins, that we might be reconciled to God, that we might be saved. This is... Is the good news. If you are not a Christian. You need to understand that you too are in need of a savior. Your sins need to be forgiven. You need to repent of your sins and believe in Christ. And be saved. I plead with you. Do so. May today be the day of salvation. For you. We see God's goodness in the gospel. How can we doubt his goodness? And that God saves sinners in Jesus Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. God saves sinners at great cost to himself. His mercy, his love is powerfully on display through the gospel. In Psalm 145, David says the Lord saves those who cry to him. As those who have trusted in Christ, we know that Jesus came into the world to save his people from their sins. Now all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Just as David proclaimed God's goodness in salvation, we too proclaim his goodness in salvation. The Lord saves sinners, not because we deserve it, but because he is loving, because he is kind, David proclaimed the Lord's goodness in terms of his provision and satisfying our needs. As followers of Jesus, we reflect on and rejoice in these things as well. In Matthew 6, Jesus told his followers not to be anxious about things in this life, like food and clothing. In verses 32 and 33, he said, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We can trust the Lord's goodness, that he knows our needs. He'll provide for our needs. Therefore, we don't need to be anxious about these things. Rather, we need to seek first his kingdom, set our hearts and minds on his kingdom. But the Lord provides for us and satisfi- satisfies us in, even, in an even more profound way. In John 4, Jesus had a conversation with a Samaritan woman who was surprised that he spoke to her. Jesus crossed all kinds of Boundaries and even engaging in a conversation with this Samaritan woman. And then he engaged her in a theological conversation. He had asked her for water. They had got into a theological conversation, which turned into theological debate. Word to the wise, don't get into a theological debate with Jesus. You're not going to win. But he taught her something really important in that conversation. In John four thirteen to 14, he said, Everyone who drinks of this water pointing to the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, what I give you through the Spirit will truly and deeply satisfy you. You will receive eternal life. Life. Only Christ can satisfy us in this way. Finally, David proclaimed the goodness of the Lord in creation, and we know that the Lord is good not only because of his work in creation, but also his promise of a new creation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we read Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Jesus Christ. Through the new covenant, through what Jesus referred to as the new birth, we are given a new heart. We are made new. We are made a new creation. But we are not only made a new creation. In Revelation 21, five, the Lord said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he promises us a new heaven and a new earth. In 1 Corinthians 15, we are told that we will receive new resurrected bodies to enjoy the new heaven and the new earth. We are given new hearts, and he promises to give us new bodies, which we will enjoy the new heaven and the new earth. God's goodness is on display in creation, and his goodness will continue to be on display in the new creation. Do you see? In Jesus Christ, we have every reason to praise the Lord enthusiastically for his goodness, made known to us through his creation, provision, and salvation. He is a good king, and he is our king. In the book of Revelation, we are given a picture of our glorious future. If you want to see this, you can read Revelation chapters 4 and 5 and 21 and 22. We see that God's people will joyfully and enthusiastically Praise the Lord for all eternity, just as David described in Psalm 145. Here's what I hope this psalm will lead us to do. Reflect on the goodness of God, rejoice in the goodness of God, and be transformed by the goodness of God. Reflect on the goodness of God. I hope you will take time regularly to think about the many ways God has demonstrated his goodness I hope you'll reflect on the way that, ways that God has demonstrated his goodness and common grace and being able to enjoy his beauty in creation. But I hope you'll think more specifically about the way that God has demonstrated his goodness to you in the gospel. I hope that you will take time to remember and preach the gospel to your own heart. Remind yourself continually and regularly what God has done for you in Jesus Christ Reflect and meditate on his wondrous works, just like David described in Psalm 145. Reflect on his goodness. Second, rejoice in the goodness of God. I hope you will praise God daily. As you reflect on the goodness of God, I hope that will lead you to praise him in your daily life, making much of him. And as I said earlier, my prayer for us is that when we gather Like this, to praise the Lord together, it will be an overflow of what we've been doing all week. Finally, be transformed by the goodness of God. We've already seen that one piece of the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Let's pray that the Lord's goodness will be reflected in our lives. Let's pray that it'll be obvious to others that we have tasted And seeing that the Lord is good. May his goodness be on display in and through us. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. And you are good to us. We pray that we will be those who taste and see that you are good. And we pray that we will not be able to help, but enthusiastically praise your name. As we set our hearts on you, our King, and your glorious kingdom that will endure forever. We pray that we will reflect on your goodness, rejoice in your goodness, and be transformed by your goodness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.